Homestead, Parts 7 and 8. Gather My Shattered Wits. Amazingly, I lived through the next week and into the following week without falling into a heap of withered anxiety. If I had been a plant, I'm certain that my leaves would have turned brown and scattered to the four winds. As it happened, I turned out to be more resilient than I expected. At first, I kept busy organizing my supplies. I grabbed my banking notebook, a hard-covered thing, and took a seriously honest inventory. The cupboards weren't bare, but they were hardly full either. I realized with chagrin how much food I threw away on a daily basis. In ordinary times, if we didn't feel like leftovers, we gave them to the chickens. Oftentimes, bones were given to the dog with plenty of meat still attached, and I had let milk spoil in the refrigerator more times than I could count. Suddenly, waste didn't seem like a minor happenstance. It felt like a crime. It wasn't until nearly two full weeks had passed that I finally got word from Dana. Ben stopped by on that second rainy Wednesday morning with a satchel slung over his broad shoulders. He made his way inside the kitchen door after I had identified his unique heya and told him to come in. His face looked older, lined with concern, his eyes a little sadder, like he had seen troubling things. More troubling than our small-town techno disconnect? I wasn't sure, but he forced a smile as he dug into his bag. Feel a little like Santa delivering gifts to waiting families. He pulled out a folded envelope. Hope this helps. Despite the grin, worry lines formed around his eyes. Gluttonously, I snatched it, tore open the envelope, and... Living in paradise? I felt so proud of myself, one of the deadly sins I know, so I should have surmised I was heading for trouble. By Thursday afternoon, I had cleaned the whole house, organized all the kitchen and downstairs storage shelves, written a complete inventory list, and even clipped the hedges so the house looked neat, outside as well as in. By five in the afternoon, I was in a pleasant state of exhaustion and treated myself to a tall glass of sun tea. I sat relaxing before the garden, under the grape arbor, on the rickety old wooden swing, which was still serviceable if I didn't sway too far. The sound of a distant siren caught my ear. I remember thinking that it was in my imagination a memory of some cop show where sirens blared across a cityscape. But this was rural countryside, a quiet backwoods world where police hardly bothered to flash their lights, much less sound a siren. If one rolled up close behind, that was signal enough to pull over and find out if you'd surpass a 30-mile-per-hour speed limit, a definite no-no that earned a standard ticket and the accompanying fine. The siren continued unabated. No routine practice or alert for a single driver. My heart began to pound. I rose and glanced around. No smoke rising. I could safely assume no one's house was on fire. An accident? A call for help? 
I squinted at the falling sun. It was still bright, and I could easily traipse to town and see what was happening. But what good could I do? I'd more likely just get in the way. Conflict tightening my stomach into knots, I paced back to the house with my empty glass in hand. Josh jogged along the road. I blinked and waved. Hey, you heading to town? He nodded, slowing his pace, but still moving forward. Yeah, we arranged a siren as a signal for all able-bodied volunteers to meet up if something important happened. Not wanting to delay him, I waved him on. Don't let me slow you down. Just tell me what's going on when you get a chance. He picked up speed. Check on Linda if you can. She's not doing great. I called after him. Sure thing. Though checking on Linda was last on my list of want-to-dos. I really needed some solid food and a chance to gather my frightened wits. Oh, heck. Linda is probably chewing her fingers to the bone. I ran inside, pulled a bowl of spice pasta and tuna from the dark refrigerator, and speed walked down the lane. Once at Linda's house, I climbed the porch steps and knocked on the doorframe. Hey, want to join me for dinner? I brought something tasty. Linda came to the door, her face red and blotched with the traces of tears still on her cheeks. She wiped her eyes with the back of her hand and forced a determined smile. I'm not hungry, but I'm glad to see you. Completely unable to deal with her meltdown, but knowing that my only alternative was to trot home and have my own, I decided to forge ahead with my unwanted charity dinner. Come on and try a bit. You need to keep up your strength. After setting two servings of my meager meal, I sat down opposite Linda at her kitchen table and tried to decide if I'd even attempt prayer before eating. What the heck? I made the sign of the cross and then halted when Linda burst into fresh tears. She died just like I thought she would. My heart jumped into my throat. Who? My mom got word last night. Some guy at the nursing home wrote, said that the folks are passing away at an alarming rate. He can hardly keep up with notifications, much less burials. But good news, she passed without pain or complaint. Linda peered at me through narrowed eyes. You don't think someone is helping them to pass along, do you? Oh, God, why'd you think that? It's probably just the shock and the lack of, well, everything. Medicine must be hard to come by, and I didn't know what else to say. Knowing that the at-risk population was succumbing for a whole range of very good reasons hardly made it more acceptable. Linda stared at the tabletop, her eyes dry now, but her gaze unfocused. I just don't know what to think. It's like evil has been loosed against everyone. I don't know what terrible thing will happen next. She sniffed and glanced up. Do we deserve this? Dread rose like a monster inside me. I forced it down with the fact that Dana and Juan were due home in the next few days, and they would help us manage through our dark future. Thank heaven for my kids. So, has Jared started home yet? A shout 
brought us to our feet. It sounded like 